This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA professional Jason Kuyper. Let me give you a little background on Jason. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration from Millersville University in Millersville, Pennsylvania, which is located between Harrisburg and Philadelphia. Went on to earn his Master's degree at Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. While in school, he became a teaching professional at the Shawnee Inn and Golf Resort. In 2009, he became the head teaching professional at the McCord Golf School down in Orange Lake, Florida, and was also the director of instruction at Woodlock uh, Springs up in the Poconos during that same time. Last fall, he came here to Atlanta, is now the director of instruction at the new Bobby Jones Golf Complex, and I'm very honored he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. So, Jason, I want to start out by sort of going back to the beginning. When was it that you decided that being a PGA professional is really what you wanted to do? Yeah, so my golf story was um, Shawnee Inn. I grew up basically there, played there in high school, um, hanging out at the course, you know, 24-7. That was kind of the MO for all the all the kids of the high school team. And I, I just kind of watched the teaching pros and, and saw what they did and got intrigued by it. Um, I think my interest in teaching, you know, probably came as a lot of guys as I tried to improve my own game by taking lessons. So I took a lot of lessons from local, you know, teaching pros in the area and just the way that they were able to help me um, was inspiring. And they made a difference in my game. And I saw how I got better you know, quickly, I started the game pretty late. I actually didn't pick up the game till I was 16, um, but took a lot of lessons early, uh, right away. And that helped me progress. And, and without those lessons, I, you know, I wouldn't be here today. So all those early pros that I, I took lessons from when I was in high school really paved the way and, and got me interested in it. Um, you know, went to school, went to college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but every time I, went away from golf, I always went back to golf. So it was one of those things that no matter how hard it seemed like I tried to get away from the game sometimes, um, it always pulled me back in and uh, I'm thankful it did. And uh, it really is all just credit to my mentors. And I've had too many to even name, you know, guys who have helped me Help me progress and learn. And, and really I owe it all to them, you know, from Rick McCord to Dick Farley and you know, just too many other guys to name that helped me learn to teach and enjoy being a PGA pro. And Jason, you mentioned, you know, you didn't know what you wanted to do, but the game sort of always pulled you back in. Was there an event in your life or something that you saw or, you know, experience that said, you know what? Yeah, I want to teach this game. Well, so, yeah, I finished grad school in the summer of 2008, which is pretty much the worst time in the history of the world to finish an MBA because of the, uh, the market <laughs> was so terrible. Um, and I, you know, I went back to Shawnee with the master's degree and I said, all right, I need a job. So I worked outside. Yeah, I worked outside staff with a master's degree and, um, I, I re- really enjoyed it. And, um, Actually, a good friend of mine that summer qualified for the 2008 Open at Torrey. So I, I had the, you know, honor of going out there with him and spending time. He was, he played at Torrey, 
um, in 2008. And, uh, I had the little swing coach badge and I was like, this is pretty cool. And, you know, I had that luxury of just because we grew up together and we were best friends. Um, and it was really then that I said, all right, let's do this golf thing. And he was playing mini tours and that fall after that summer of 08, he was going down to Florida to play the mini tours as, you know, most guys do. And, you know, I didn't have a job and I didn't have anything to do. So I said, all right, let's go to Florida. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to meet Dick Farley, who's a legend in golf instruction. He was at Shawnee at the time. And I said, Hey, Dick, you know, I'm going to Florida. Um, anybody, you know, down there can help me get a job. And he said, matter of fact, there is. And it was Rick McCord, you know, another, another legend in golf instruction. And uh, Dick got me set up with Rick, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. And, Jason, it's you, know, you mentioned Rick, and you know, prior to your current role, as you mentioned, you were the head teaching professional down there at the McCord Golf Academy. And, and Rick has been, as you talk about a legend, a guy who's been a, among the top 100 teachers in America for over 25 years. In fact, it was in the inaugural list that Ma- Golf Magazine put together back in 1991. So talk about your time working with Rick and what he taught you about the game. Yeah, one word, everything, basically. You know, I started I started with him, and all I really had known was what I worked on in my own game. Um, but just basically shadowing him for years and, you know, starting off with the, the junior clinics and the new golfer clinics and that sort of thing, and just um, he – he is incredible in that he, he let me teach a little bit. You know, he watched me teach. He helped me teach. He critiqued me. And that was one thing that I take away from my time with Rick is that he wasn't afraid to let the younger guys go out there and teach, um, under his supervision. Whereas, you know, a lot of times, a lot of directors instruction and top names there, it's me, 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 and I'm going to teach and I'm going to take all the good clients and this and that. They, they really don't give a lot to the, the staff instructors. Um, and without that, you know, a lot of, a lot of young guys get burnt out because they're really not given the opportunity, um, to go out there and learn and make mistakes and teaching. But Rick was always there to kind of help out if, if the lesson got off track or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's something that'll take away with me forever as now, you know, fortunately I'm in a position where I can, you know, bring some staff on and, and help them learn and grow. And, uh, I'm actually really starting to enjoy that where I'm able to mentor some staff. And Jason, you mentioned junior clinics and you're one of the top junior instructors. And I was curious to get your thoughts. How do you keep kids excited about the game of golf, wanting to come back and learn and continue to play and make it a game for a lifetime? Yeah, well, you know, with that, my whole career, um, you know, I, I recognize U.S. Kids Golf as a leader in the industry, and uh, I've been U.S. Kids certified for a while, and I learned a lot from from going through that process. And as this opportunity came out here with Bobby Jones Golf Course, I was so happy to learn that U.S. Kids Golf was uh, a founding partner of the project, and the the Grand Slam Golf Academy is a U.S. Kids Golf Academy, and everything we do with junior golf is powered through the U.S. Kids Star Program. And that program is so well put together that it's so easy um, to get kids involved. It's just one of those programs that you really, if you just commit to it and do it, um, the kids get excited. So there's there's 10 levels of the program. Five are out right now. There's going to be 
five more coming out soon, but you know, the kids get their hats and as they work through their books, they get achievements, they get pins and every clinic we do, you know, we start out and say, all right, you need, you know, putting or full swing or whatever. And we go out there with the goal. Um, we work through it. We let them know what they need to accomplish and they get a pin, you know, a little uh, gold pin that they put on their hat. So they get a hat, they get a bag tag, they get a book. So they, they, they're part of the program. And, you know, something as simple as a little pin as an adult, we say, oh, you know, we understand that this is just a little cheap piece of metal, but to a kid, that might as well be a three foot big trophy. You know, that's when in the U S open sometimes it's just getting that pin and putting that on their hat. And it's incredible. Those kids will come into the clinic and they'll know, they'll know that, Hey, I did my full swing last week. And if I get my scoring today, I can get my level three done. And I said, how do you know that? And they said, well, it's on the board. So the kids love it. The motivating factor there is, is those pins and those small rewards, but they have to earn it. You know, it's not just you get a pin every time. They have to earn it, and uh, it keeps them focused, but it's also fun. Yeah, that's awesome, that that level of recognition. And that me, I can see where that would mean a great deal to a kid. Heck, it would mean a great deal to me if I uh, was able to you know show the achievements that I made in the game of golf. So kudos to you for doing that. And, and Jason, and I know from being the father of three kids, attention spans aren't what they used to be when I was a kid. How How are you keeping the kids... Not not only excited about playing the game, right, but really just staying involved because you know typically nowadays, right, the kids are involved in their phones, they're involved in video games, their their attention spans don't last more than ten minutes to do much of anything. But you're there and in keeping these kids energized and playing a game that takes a little longer than five or ten minutes to play. How do you do that? Yeah, the the trick is just games based learning. Um, it's just coming up with creative ways. Um. To play games, you know, whether it's um, putter pull or chip tac toe or, you know, chipping bocce, things like that, that are, they're learning and you can mix in a little coaching there. You can mix in a little bit of instruction strategically, but the, all the kids think is they're playing a game against their buddies. They're just trying to get it close to the hole or get it in the hole. And the more uh, gamification you can make uh, of that instruction, the better it is. I mean, the you know, the worst thing you can do is just stand there and beat balls for 45 minutes because you're going to lose them and they're never going to come back. But the the key is make it fun, use colored golf balls and colored cones and put up targets that they can hit the ball into or through. I mean, the, the thing the kids love is we take some alignment sticks and we put some foil there, just like the break the glass challenge from big break. And they love just whaling that ball, trying to hit that foil. And when they're working on their ball striking trajectory control, um, all that. So yeah, just keeping it, keeping it light, keeping it fun, and then just mix in some instruction when you have an opportunity. So Jason, going back to your time working with Rick McCord, how did, how did you go from being down there and a part of his teaching school and now coming up here and being the director of instruction at the new Bobby Jones golf complex here in Atlanta? Yeah, so I moved to Florida in, in uh, 2008, 2009, and I, I lived down there full time, full years for uh, for six years. And the winter, the winters are great down there. The resort that I was at, Orange Lake Resort, is fantastic um, in the winter, um, but the summers were pretty quiet. Um, so I saw an opportunity to kind of go back home, actually, and that's where Woodlock uh, Woodlock Springs works in. Is saw that job opportunity for the summer season. And, um, 
you know, with Rick's blessing, he said, yeah, get out of here for the summer, go up there and teach. The weather was a little bit better. And, you know, for me, it was kind of coming back home up to the Poconos. I was able to spend some time up there and I did four seasons up there as the director of instruction. And that was really where I was able to, for the first time, cut my teeth and kind of creating my own academy, um, how I wanted to do it. Um, that was a great experience. And I worked up there for a PGA, a great PGA pro, uh, named John Pillar, who is really a long term, long time Philly section, you know, top 50 masters teachers. And he's a good teacher in his own right. So he kind of, again, let me create the academy there how I wanted to with his input. And, um, you know, he was, he's running the golf operation and I was running the academy. We had a great partnership there for a few years. And, um, that was fantastic. Kind of going back home, I could see my parents and that sort of thing. Um, but I have a young family. So the back and forth, the North and South thing obviously runs its course for a lot of, for a lot of pros. A lot of pros do the North and South thing for a while. Um, but with a young daughter, it was time for me to figure out kind of where I was going to be full year. Um, fortunately this, this position came up, uh, just through the PGA. So it's not, in this case, it wasn't who, you know, it was just the posting and it hit my career links. And, you know, I, I put my hat in the ring and, and I said, Hey, let's see what happens here. And, um, you know, lucky, lucky enough, I made it through the process and, um, Still not sure why they picked me, but uh, I'm happy to be where I'm at, and uh, it's a great opportunity. It's one of those things that uh, once you get there, and in every in every process of the interview, was the video interview, and then the, the I went down there and interviewed the the scope of the project and understanding the project just got bigger and bigger, and I said, "Wow, this is really going to be something." Um, you know, whereas when I first looked into it. I didn't, I didn't understand what it was or what it was going to be. Um, so really it now that I'm here and we're kind of getting into it, it's really, it's really could be a project that changes golf in in the country, honestly, for how golf courses make money and, uh, and be successful. And, uh, to get in kind of on the, the first step of that, um, is, is an incredible honor. And, um, I think we're going to do some big things. Yeah, I agree you're going to do some big things. And I'm telling you, the golf course is all the rage around Atlanta, and I'm certainly dying to get out there and, and see see the complex and play the reversible nine-hole courses. And, and for those that aren't aware, Jason, explain the courses because it's it's two separate nines, essentially, the way that it's set up. I mean, you play one set of nine, you know, twice, but you can come back a couple of days later and the course is set up completely different and you play that set of nine twice. Talk about what makes that golf course so special. Yeah. So when they were putting the, the project together and first of all, the, the land used to be an 18 hole course. Um, it was a small kind of short, tight course. And when they, when they went to redo it, um, you know, the foundation and, uh, Bob Cup decided they looked at the property and realized they didn't have enough land to do a quality 18 hole golf course. In fact, if they put in a normal 18 hole golf course on that property, because it's only 128 acres, um, it would have only been about 5,400 yards. That was the first redesign. They realized that was not long enough, of course. And they, they kind of went back to the drawing board and said, okay, what are we going to do? So the story was, um, Bob Cup 
you know, understood some of the reversible nature from St. Andrews. And he said, I, I think we can build a reversible nine, nine hole course. And through a bunch of different redesigns and looking at it, um, with the property, they decided that putting in the reversible nine with a, a, a quality practice area and driving range plus a golf academy would make just as much money or more, you know, than just an 18 hole course. And the city of Atlanta needed a good range there. There's not many great ranges inside the perimeter. Um, so we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but that's been a huge success. Um, back to the golf course itself, it's basically a nine hole footprint. So if you fly over and you look down, you, you look like you're looking at nine holes, but you have, if you play it clockwise or counterclockwise, there's two different eight, two different nine holes that lay on top of each other, kind of like pancakes. So you have azalea, um, and then magnolia. And on tea time days, which most days right now we're just doing tea times, um, you play it in one direction. So you can't play both nines on a tea time day. So you, if you play 18, you play the same nine twice. Um, but if you play Monday, you play Azalea, come back Tuesday, you'll play Magnolia. That's, so that's been working out pretty good. The other way is in a shotgun format. And we do offer, uh, from time to time public open access shotguns where we'll go ahead and shotgun everybody out onto the onto the nine holes and you'll play nine holes in one direction and in the shotgun everyone would would play nine holes in a row and then stop turn around and play nine holes in the opposite direction so that's really the only truly way to play all 18 uniquely designed holes um and we do that from time to time and we do that in outings as well uh, where you can play all all 18 holes and that's um that's a really unique experience because when you're out there playing, um, and this comes from experience, when you play it reversible, the holes are totally different. You know, the courses are completely different from one another, which is incredible that they, they were able to do that. So, Jason, to your point a moment ago in talking about practice facility, and you've got an amazing looking one there because it's more than just a driving range. You've got it all there from the short game range to uh, a, a wonderful putting green as well. Talk about all the practice facilities that you make available to folks. Yeah, so the main range is is, uh, is 40 stalls, it's 40 bays. Um, we we have a mixture of mats and grass. Um, we do a rotation that you're on the grass um, the majority of days, but we're on mats some days just to save the tee. Um, the grass is, you know, super high quality. The range balls are super high quality. We have the Bridgestone Tour practice ball. So, you know, you're going out there and hitting a, a very quality range ball off of quality turf, um, really the best mats money can buy out there, too. So everything is done really to the finest detail and the highest quality. Um, right now, while we're still under construction, we do have a public access short game area um, with a bunker. You can chip putt. You can hit pitch shots up to 30, 40 yards. Um, and that's great and that's adequate. Uh, there's no fee for that. You just, it's great to just see people come down and, and practicing their short game as well as hitting some balls. Um, once the, once the clubhouse goes in, which we just broke ground on that, which is super exciting, we're actually going to have a Himalayan style putting course. It's going to be about a one acre, uh, big putting green, um, just off the clubhouse. So that's going to be really nice and big. 
And we'll also have a, a secondary chipping and pitching area um, that will all be open public access that, again, doesn't really exist um, in the city here. And then on top of all of that, we've got the Cup Links, which is a junior golf course. It's a six-hole golf course um, just off the side of the range that will be open in the fall. Uh, that's going to be really geared towards juniors and growing the game and, and any kind of growth of the game initiatives where they're shorter holes, 50 to 70 yards. And, um, you know, we're going to have kids are free with a paying adult and that sort of thing and uh, great for short game practice. And it's going to be maintained at the same level and quality of the regular golf course. Wow. What a facility. And you've got Georgia State out there, right? Georgia State uses the uh, facilities there for their practice as well, right? Yeah, Georgia State. So up on the north end of the up on the north end of the range, there is a secondary uh, range tee with grass that they uh, lease from us. They have some short game area there too. That's just for them. And um, they had a pretty nice end of the year, and some of that's definitely attributed to the practice facility being better and giving them a place to come out and uh, hone their skills a little bit. Jason, I want to switch gears a little bit. Got to get a few playing lessons from you for our our listeners, and I want to start out by talking about how to establish a good pre-shot routine when many of us have so many different swing thoughts, you know, in our minds. How can we declutter our minds and get ready to hit a good golf shot? Yeah, so the key with with swing thoughts and pre-shot routine is, you know, they're good, but you've got to be careful not to let those swing thoughts be like a train coming down the tracks. And that's what it is for a lot of people. And they're, they're basically yelling at themselves to do this and do that. And they, they've got five things on that laundry list that they're trying to check off before they even pull the trigger. Um, swing thoughts are great, but there's a time and a place to work on that sort of thing. So what I tell all my students is if you're working on something, if you're thinking about a swing thought, do that in the practice way. So, Make a practice swing and focus on what you're thinking about, whether it's swing path or your finish or balance, footwork, anything like that. That's kind of in universe one, we call it. So once you do that, you know, then you just want to get up over the ball and pull the trigger and just hope that that feel works its way in there. So when you're over and actually performing the shot, you can't, you can't expect to have all those swing, swing thoughts actually work. So. Do your mechanics beforehand. Do your swing thoughts beforehand and then step in there. Um, if you're really a person that has a lot of mental problems with the game, there's, there's a great program that, that I was fortunate enough to learn down with Rick McCord is called the fluid motion factor. And, and the gentleman that created that, his name is Stephen Yellen. Um, his program is really a neuroscience based program and how you can get your mind to be a little bit quieter. Um, and a lot of people struggle with that, that quiet mind aspect to it. So one of the great tips that if we have a student who's really struggling with the, the mental side is we'll just have them pick a number. And during their pre-shot routine, as they're walking up to the ball, as they're waggling, as they're settling, settling in, they're just going to, they're just going to repeat that number to themselves just very, very quietly and softly and slowly, almost as if they're whispering it. Um, to a baby, you know, imagine that very, very soft. And it's incredible when you watch someone do this as the teacher, you'll see there, everything just slows down, gets softer, their shoulders kind of slouch a little bit, they kind of lumber up there very, uh, very softly. And it's a totally different approach to the ball. And all that's really doing 
is getting it so that your prefrontal cortex, which is the intellect part of your brain, is getting that quieter and softer. And when that prefrontal cortex kind of gets quiet, um, then the motor system part of your brain can really function more effortlessly and more efficiently to your body. Um, so that's a good just tip for people if they're really struggling with their swing thoughts. Pick a number, say it very softly as you're walking up, and then pull the trigger, and you'd be surprised at the fluidity you're going to experience. Wow. What a great tip. Thank you for sharing that one, Jason. And uh, I want to get a couple more from you. And, and um, this one, talk about the grip. Making sure we have, you know, that fundamental done correctly. We are so particularly with respect to stopping us from slicing the golf ball. What is the way that we should have our hands on the golf club so that we make sure we're not going to be pushing that ball off to the right? Yeah, you know, I really, in my teaching, the grip is pretty much number one, two, and three, and four. I mean, we look at the grip so much, and, uh, you know, there's, there's some of my staff instructors actually, you know, ridicule me a little bit about how much we just sit there and focus on the grip and the grip and the grip because, you know, and, and this I learned right from Rick McCord. So understanding that in the golf swing, there's a lot of cause and effect. Um and there's people who have swing faults, um, especially let's just let's just attack this as a slicer, a right-handed player who's a slicer. Yes, they come over the top. Yes, their swing path is left. Yes, they probably aim poorly. Um, yes, they probably early release it and cast it, right? So you've got three or four or five problems there um, in a slice move, but all those things are effects. They're all secondary. You know, you can't fix those unless you fix the root underlying cause, um, which is going to be that open club face. And the open club face is going to be caused by your grip. Um, that's the only thing touching the club. And it, it's really the most important fundamental, in my opinion. So, again, attacking this as a right-handed player uh, who's slicing the ball, start with the left hand. You've got to get that down deep down into the fingertips so that you can get the the main part of your hand up over to the right. So the the grip will be sitting down in your fingertips and your thumb of your left hand will be over to the right of the center of the shaft. So, you know, if you've got a logo on the grip, make sure the thumb is over to the right of that logo. Um, and from there, you should see more the back of your hand. You should see two or three knuckles on that left hand. And the way to test that is if you get it in there properly, just holding your left hand on the club, pull the club up about waist high, and you should be able to close the club face very easily and open it just very little. Um, again, that's to fix a slice. You should also be able to get a very good free hinge and wrist action. So if you have it in your palm or if you have that thumb down the middle, which a lot of people have that thumb straight down the middle, the face is going to open. And you're not going to have very good wrist action. <clears throat> and then with the right hand, just have that match it. And again, I'd rather see that right hand a little bit more to the right. Um, for most players, especially new players, I'd rather have both hands more to the right. Um, that's going to help close the club face. And then, you know, once you get face closing, then you can start worrying about path and release and lag and angle of attack and all that other stuff. But you know, if you're sitting there working on path and you've got an open club face or a weak grip, you've got no chance. Jason, one more, and uh, let's talk about setup on chip shots. 
Where should our weight distribution be when we're in our setup? Where should the ball position be? And then talk a little bit about shaft lean. Yeah, so for a lot of wedge shots and chip shots, I like to kind of teach just a pretty basic standard setup, which I'm going to keep the ball pretty middle um, with a narrow stance. Um, with that said, I'm going to have my weight pressure more left uh, for a right-handed player. So I'm going to go, you know, maybe 60-70% left. Um, middle ball location, and as I kick my weight pressure left, that should the handle, the handle of the club should be uh, a little bit forward as well. So you want the handle of the club in your hands uh, a little bit more towards your left thigh. Um, that's kind of a standard setup. From there, you can take a seven iron, hit a little low chip shot. You can take um, a pitching wedge and hit kind of a middle running, you know, half carry, half roll chip shot or you can take that sand wedge and hit two-thirds carry one-thirds roll um, all from that same exact setup same exact stance same exact swing Um, the more variables you have in your setup the harder it is to be consistent Um, when you're actually going to execute the shot the biggest thing i see people struggle with is low point control is just understanding where the club is bottoming out so I'll have my students set up where the club head is, is on the ground just inside the ball. So for a practice swing, but don't just do a practice swing anywhere or way far away from the ball. Do it just a few inches inside the ball so that the club head is even with the ball and take a couple practice swings and make sure that the club is brushing the grass, not chopping down, but just a shallow little brush of the grass um, right at or slightly in front of the ball. This is the easiest way to test if, you know, you're hitting way behind or you're scooping at it or you're flipping at it or sometimes players have the bottom of the swing arc too far forward. So the more you can just get some repetition of getting the bottom of the swing arc where it's brushing the grass to be right at or slightly in front of the bottom of the ball, um, you're going to be in good shape. And if you do that pre-swing, you can step in there with confidence because you just did it successfully and pull the trigger and hopefully have some good results. Jason, all great stuff and great tips. I appreciate very much you sharing that with our listeners. Let our listeners know, Jason, how they can stay up to date with all the things that you're doing and follow you and what's going on at the at the new Bobby Jones Golf Club here in Atlanta. How can they do that, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, so the best place is going to be the website, which is bobbyjonesgc.com. Um you can also follow myself on Instagram as Jason Kuiper Golf. Um, we also have a Bobby Jones Golf Course Instagram uh, that we post tips a lot of times. Bobby Jones Golf Course on Facebook so and Twitter as well, Bobby Jones Golf Course on Twitter. So we post a lot of tips um, to help you improve, and that's where you can find my email and contact information. Um, don't hesitate to reach out if any of the, if any of the listeners have any questions. Uh, my email is right on there. It's jason.kuiper, K-U-I-P-E-R, at bobbyjonesgc.com. Well, Jason, like I said earlier, I'm dying to get out there and play the golf course and see the uh, practice facilities. It all looks amazing. And I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime soon, share more of your stories and your tips, and give us an update on what's going on out there because it's a wonderful place and you've been a great guest tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Come on out. Let's uh, let's tee it up, Chris, and we'll we'll get your game uh, a little sharper, maybe. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's a lot of fun, and we'll do it again soon. I hope so, and I look forward to seeing you out on the golf course. 
Take care, Jason. All the best to you and your family, my friend. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you, Jason. That's Jason Kuiper, K-U-I-P-E-R. And uh, I'm telling you, folks, the, the place looks absolutely spectacular. I really can't wait to get out there. And I'm just, uh, I'm equally as excited about the practice facilities that they have. And you heard Jason talking about it as I am about checking out, you know, how that nine reversible nine works and all of those sorts of things. So uh, it looks like a great place. Jason, a lot of great tips and a lot of great instruction. Follow him online and on Twitter and on Instagram. Check him out. I, I was looking at the videos prior to the show and uh, he's got a lot of really great tips out there. So look forward to having Jason back on the show again really soon. And like Tom Patrick said uh, at the end of his segment, I want to give a big shout out to uh, to Dr. Bob Jones, the fourth doc is a wonderful friend of the show, been on many times and uh, had some wonderful comments to make on Facebook and uh, sharing the link to tonight's show. Both docs listening in doc. I appreciate you very, very much. Look forward to having you back on the show and talking about your experiences out at the Bobby Jones golf complex as well. So look forward to Jason and doc back on the show again real soon. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick and Jason Kuiper for joining me tonight. Folks, appreciate you guys very much. Please share your thoughts with me. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascara. You can put a comment in there. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. Plus, like I always say, if you've got a question or one of my you know previous guests, one of my future guests, and you can see our, our guest schedule out there on our website, nextonthetee.net, but let me know, and I'll be glad to get that uh, question on the show and answered for you as well. So stay tuned. Give us your feedback. We appreciate it very much. Folks, we can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight and for making Next on the Tee a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA top instructors and media members go to tell their stories join us the same time every tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you it's all about the great game of golf it's all about the great game of golf